the Holy Spirit in Acts, the very first thing that he said in a congregation was he said, God's going to pour out his spirit. Old men will dream dreams and young men will prophesy. And that is the purpose. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to awaken something in you to bring influence to our community. It's not to live a nine to five eating, sleeping life to pay your bills and get through just so you can die one day. That is not the purpose of God on your life. Young men will see visions and dreams. Old men will see visions and dreams. We are all called to see something, live something bigger than nine to five eating, sleeping, breathing. That's what we're called to. And that is the purpose of this theme. And you know what? I, I... I actually was the one who suggested we do this type of theme in November across our locations because often we start thinking about this in January and I reckon January is too late. I think we should be thinking about it in November so that when January comes, we're already like the ground is hot and we're running. We already know where we're at because January is just too late to start thinking about what you're going to be doing for the year. So the idea is in November, you'll start going, God, how is my year and what do you want me to do next year? So that by January, you're hitting the ground running. Amen? So I want to, in this month, for us all to be asking the Holy Spirit that question. What's still in me that I haven't activated? What's still in me that you want to draw out? What's still in me that I can contribute and sow? What's still in me, God, that I've put aside and I've buried and I've ignored? God, bring that to life again. Can you pray that over November? Bring that to life again, God. Breathe into those, those bones. And so, you know, all of us have a sense of purpose. We all do. Every single person walking the planet has a sense of purpose. There's got to be more to life. And you know why we all have that? It's because God put it there. In Ecclesiastes, he says he has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the heart of every person, a mysterious longing for which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. And you know what? No matter whether we believe in God or not, that sense exists within us. Just because someone doesn't believe in God doesn't mean he doesn't exist. (laughs) The truth is he's put this sense of more inside of every single person. He's put it there, a sense of more in the heart of all people. You and I were created on purpose for a purpose. We were created on purpose by a loving Father for a purpose in this day and this age. None of us are by accident or just taking up space. Every single person has a design and a purpose in their life. And sometimes life can try to steal that from us. So we have this sense of dream, sense of something more, and often it can seem childish and foolish and too big, but it's put there by God. And then life happens, doesn't it? And it can steal that dream. It can try to dull the dream. You face setbacks, you face heartbreaks, bad reports, you make mistakes that make you feel like a failure. But I want you to know that if you live that way, if you allow life to steal your dream, you will live a substandard version of the reason God put you here. You will live beneath the potential of heaven in your life. 
If you allow God to steal life, to steal your dream, you will not reach the supernatural potential. The seed that's in you will lay dormant if you allow life to steal your dream. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a substandard version of my life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven with any juice left in me. I want to be spent. I want to be like Paul who said, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. I spent everything that heaven put in me. I want to be that person. No matter what happens, the plan of God for your life still stands. No matter what happens, the plan of God still stands. No person and no circumstance has the power to negate what God has put inside you. I want to say that again, and I want you to hear it in your spirit. No person and no circumstance has the power to negate the purpose of God on your life. Nothing that's happened to you and nothing that you've done cancels the reason God put you here. Absolutely nothing. That dream that God put inside you will come under pressure. It will. You're going to sometimes wonder whether you're even on the right track. You're going to sometimes wonder whether you heard right. God, was that even you? There's going to be times when you question, when you wrestle, when you wonder, where is God in any of this? But God, I thought you said, is it just me or has anyone else ever cried out like that? Am I even on the right track? Am I crazy? Did I hear wrong? Did I take a wrong step? There are going to be times when you're going to wonder if God's even abandoned you. Anyone been there? Hello? (laughs) There's going to be times, but I want to tell you that there is nothing that can steal the dream from you without your permission. There is nothing. If you keep your face towards God and your heart set on him, there is nothing that can steal it from you. You know, Joseph knew what it was like to have a dream tested. We read about Joseph in the Old Testament. As a young boy, the youngest in his family, one of the youngest, he had a dream. And in his dream, all his brothers and his parents bowed down to him. So he was pretty excited about that. He thought he'd share it with his family. Right? (laughs) Be careful who you share your dream with. Right? Because as soon as he shared it with them, his brothers despised him. He was already the favorite. So they kind of had it in for him already, except that now he's telling them that he had this dream where the whole family is going to bow down to them. Well, that was enough. And that was the icing on the cake. They took their little brother and they were going to kill him. I mean, you thought you had a bad day, (laughs) right? His brothers take him out into the wilderness, planning to kill him. One of them, thankfully, there is always that semi-decent sibling in the family, right? Who goes, guys, maybe not a great idea. Hey, why don't we just sell him off as a slave. Better, right? Maybe. So they throw him in a pit and slave traders come past and they sell him off as a slave. They sell their little brother as a slave. You thought you had a dysfunctional family. Come on. And so they go back to their dad and they tear up his cloak and they say, dad, he was devoured by a wild animal. So his dad thinks he's dead forgets, you know, long gone. And so Joseph now, this young kid, a young boy, is a slave. He ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. 
And this young man, this adolescent man, he is full of integrity and character and work ethic. Hello, young person. And he works his way into favor with his master. He's a slave. And he's a slave by no fault of his own. And he works hard and he gets to a point where Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole household. So he's in charge of the whole household and Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. He's a handsome young man. He's got integrity. He works hard. And so she tries to seduce him. When he refuses her attempts and he says, I will not sin against my master or my God, she frames him for rape and has him thrown in prison. You thought you had a bad day, right? So he goes from his father's tent of favor and love and he gets thrown into a pit. He goes into slavery. Now he's in prison. None of this is his fault. I mean, sometimes we suffer because of our own stupidity. Hello? Right? But this guy is suffering at no fault of his own his whole life. Now he's in prison. He's in the pits of a dungeon. And again, works hard, keeps a great attitude. He ends up being put in charge of all the other prisoners. I mean, if anyone had a reason to sit in the back corner and complain and feel sorry for themselves, it was Joseph, except he never did. He worked hard, he had character and integrity, and so ends up being in charge of the pr- in, over the prisoners. He meets this prisoner in, in there who was once the king's cupbearer, and this guy has a dream in prison, and Joseph interprets a dream. In his dream, Joseph's interpretation is like great news. You're going to be reinstated. And so it actually comes to pass that this guy gets reinstated as the king, as Pharaoh's cupbearer. He says to, Joseph says to this guy, don't forget about me. When you get there, please remember me and help get me out of here. And the guy's like, of course, how could I forget you? Who knows he forgets him? So Joseph's stuck in prison. This guy's the cupbearer and Pharaoh starts having dreams. And no one can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And the cupbearer goes, oh! I remember a guy. I remember a guy. He can help you. He's in prison. And so Joseph's hauled out of prison into the presence of the king and he interprets correctly the king's dreams. And because of Joseph's interpretation of the dream, um, Pharaoh is so impressed. He puts him in charge of the nation of Egypt. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt and he saves the nation from famine by interpreting the dream. And so not only is he a hard worker, he's also in tune with the Spirit of God. He interprets dreams and he's strategic and he rescues a nation. And so we see this amazing thing. He proves himself time and time again. He goes from his father's tent to a pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to a palace. You see, man can plan his ways, Proverbs says, but the Lord directs his steps. Man can plan his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 6 verse 9, if you're going through a hard time, just remember that, that your destiny is not in the hands of any circumstance or any person. The Lord is directing your steps. And so when famine struck, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy food. By now, they had forgotten. This is 13 years later. 13 years of obscurity imprisonment, flogging, hardship, of no fault of his own. His family thought for sure he's dead, for sure. And here he is 
in Pharaoh's palace, living as an Egyptian. And his brothers are sent by their father into Egypt to buy food. Can you picture the scene? He's here 13 years later, possibly about 30 years old. And he's dressed as an Egyptian and he sees this group of men walk in and recognizes them straight away. But they don't recognize him. And they come and what happens? They bow down before him. He sends them back. They come back with their father and he bows down before them. His dream came to pass. Did it come to pass the way he thought it would? Was it easy? Did he have a real blast along the way? (laughs) The dream came to pass. The dream came to pass. If you keep your heart right and you keep your face towards heaven, you keep your heart, God will keep your dream. You keep your heart, God will keep your destiny. You keep your character, God will keep your future. If you trust him, if you keep your integrity, if you keep doing the right things, God will move you in the direction you need to go. And a lot of the time it won't make sense. And a lot of the time you want to shake your fist at the sky and cry out, God, where are you? Except that he's working, he's moving, he's orchestrating things in a way that doesn't make sense to you right now. But one day you'll stand there in disbelief and see the promise play out before your very eyes. You know... I'm the daughter of two Polish immigrants. My parents moved here from Poland when, they, when my mum was pregnant. When they landed here, mum was just about to give birth to me. Polish was my first language. I spoke Polish all through my childhood up until they dropped me to school, not knowing any English. So I turned up in grade one, not knowing a word of English. I remember you one vividly. I remember being in the playground and kids were teaching me English words, and when I repeated them, they would all burst out laughing, and I had no idea what they had just taught me to say. I remember trying to communicate with my grade one teacher this one time that I felt really sick, and the poor man, I still remember him, young teacher, Mr. O'Sullivan, I remember vividly grade one, (laughs) trying to tell him that I felt really ill, and he had no idea what I was saying until I vomited all over his shoes. I still remember his brown shoes. I remember sitting in a toilet cubicle crying because no one could understand what I was saying. No one could understand. I couldn't understand them. I remember grade one so vividly because I was this ESL kid. Any other kids, you know, English as a second language? Anyone else in the room like that? Yeah, I've got a few. Not knowing how to communicate, having to learn how to communicate. And then when I got a little bit older, Uh, My family broke down, and it was just in grade seven, I was about to go to grade eight, and my parents had me enrolled in the best all-girls private school, except that when the family broke down, suddenly finances were an issue, and and there was no way I was going to be able to go to this school. Now, you have to understand, my parents moved here to give me opportunity, to give me the opportunity they didn't have. And suddenly, that opportunity was snatched away. Suddenly, all the hopes and dreams were dashed. And my mum, trying to figure out what to do now as a woman who couldn't speak English, was working, you know, jobs and 
and suddenly has these children who she could not put through private education and me being the eldest, just about to go into high school, decided she would try to get me into the best state school in Brisbane. Now the best state school in Brisbane is Brisbane State High in South Brisbane. Except that you would know that with state schools you have to live in the catchment area. We didn't live in inner city Brisbane. We lived in the ghetto, all right? We did not live anywhere near Brisbane State High School. There was no way I was going to get in to Brisbane State High on the catchment. So she had another bright idea. I'll get her in on a scholarship. I was an average student. <laughs> Definitely never in line for any type of scholarship. Not academic and least of all athletic. Not a chance. <laughs> but she thought that she'd get me in on a scholarship. So do you know what she did? She got me a tutor in English literature. Think about this. I only just started speaking English. <laughs> So she sent me every week for a period of time to my English tutor who was this amazing woman with massive red curly hair and she wore these black like Stevie Nicks kind of lacy, amazing. She lived in a Pride and Prejudice house in Annalee with the vines all over it and antique furniture. She had about 10 cats and um, <laughs> just an amazing, amazing woman, this huge property. It literally was a scene out of the Pride and Prejudice movie. And she, I would walk into her room, her reading room, which is where she tutored her students, and we would read Shakespeare to one another, we'd recite Shakespeare, we'd write poetry and short stories. And I remember her favorite type of pen and her handwriting. And, and we wrote and we read and we acted and we, and all, it was just, I fell in love with the English language from this eccentric woman with red curly hair. And, I submitted a portfolio like this to Brisbane State High School and I got in on an English scholarship. All right? Then from there, when I finished, when I was finishing school, English was still my favorite subject. I got B's for everything else and A's for English and legal studies. I just loved English. And so I thought, well, I don't really know what I want to do with my life as a career, so what can I do with English? And I figured creative writing wasn't really going to get me very far, so I decided I'd enroll for journalism. So I did a double degree. I did a business degree in international business, and I did a journalism degree. And so I got through as an ESL kid on an English scholarship doing journalism, and now I speak and write as a call of God on my life. You have no idea how impossible it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. You have no idea that in those hours and those nights and those weeks when my family broke down and my parents had no idea how they were going to give me the opportunities they wanted to give me, that God was actually still at work. I had no idea that God would use a divorce to propel me into the things of God. I had no idea that God would do what he did with the broken parts of my life to set me onto the call that he has for me. I had no idea as a young girl who didn't know how to speak English that God would have me communicate in English to thousands of people. I had no idea that was the call of God on my life and in my brokenness, I had no idea how God would ever put any of it together. But I want to tell you, there is nothing that's happened to you that God can't use for the call of God on your life. Absolutely nothing. And what the enemy intends for evil, God will use for good. Romans 8.28, we know with great confidence 
that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his plan and his purposes. And you might think, well, I've been hard done by. People have cut me down and I've had so many setbacks. Your mind might tell you that you are at the mercy of other people, your boss, your parents, your upbringing. But I want to tell you there is not a single person in your life that can cancel the call of God on your life. Your life your destiny is not in the hands of men. It is in the hands of God. Stop worrying about who is setting you up or who is holding you back. Stop looking to people for validation and promotion. Yes, God can use people to promote you and validate you, but they're not God. Your destiny is in the hands of a God who knows you and who intended you, and no one is powerful enough to take that away. Don't look to God, to man, look to God. And you know, when Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, he had come to a really healthy place in his heart. Look at this in Genesis 45, verse 4 to 8. He said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they approached him and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to save life and to preserve our family. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Am I saying that God will send bad things to happen to you? No. But I am saying that he will use even the deepest hurts and setbacks to your advantage if you let him. God knows you even when you're unseen. He sees you in your pit. He sees you in your prison. He sees you when you've been wrongly done by. He sees you in all those parched wilderness places. He hasn't forgotten you. He is working things out. You're about to come into unbelievable favor. Things are going to start turning around. God is making a way for you. And no matter what people have done, his plan still stands. And you need to release that person from the responsibility of your future happiness. person who hurt you is not powerful enough to negate what God has for you. Stop holding them at ransom for your future happiness. They're not that powerful. Let go. Release them to God. They're not more powerful than God and God loves you. You need to repent and be accountable to God for unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. You need to release them and turn your heart to God and trust in him. The only person powerful enough to sabotage your dream is you. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't faint in your heart or in your mind. Keep your heart right and God will keep your dream. You might say, well, Joseph was pretty squeaky clean. I've made so many mistakes. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. I've done plenty wrong. God can't use me. I'm a complete mess and I did it. I did all of it. And I want to tell you that not even your past can determine your destiny. I want to tell you that not even what you've done can cancel what God has for you. Nothing can. You might say, my past is tarnished and I've done too many things wrong. Well, I'll just remind you that the deliverer Moses, who God called his friend, was a murderer. 
I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm fairly confident that we're all good there. The greatest king to ever live, King David, was an adulterer. I won't ask for a show of hands, okay? The father of our faith, Abraham, was an impatient liar. The champion apostle Peter was impulsive and violent. The father of the early church and the writer of most of the New Testament was a hired assassin. Hello. Your past doesn't determine your destiny. What did they all actually have in common? Soft, repentant hearts and a God who loved them and moved on their behalf. Nothing can separate you from God's love. I want to tell you nothing you've done can separate you from God's love. And God's love is intimately linked to your purpose. God's love for you cannot be separated from the purpose he has put in you. He loves you and he intended you for a reason. He has plans for you. Don't let your mind convince you that you're too sinful and that your past discredits your dream. That is a lie of the enemy to take you out of the race that is marked for you. He will make you feel shame and guilt so that you become ineffective and you move to the sidelines instead of being in your lane. Don't listen to that lie. Shake it off. Walk in forgiveness. Stop living in dysfunction. Stop doing those wrong things and step into your lane and run your race. Know that he loves you and he has a plan for your life regardless of what you've done. He has a plan. He will move you past your past and into your future. The third thing your mind might tell you is that you're too young. I'm too inexperienced. I've no idea how to do this. Story of my life is fake it till you make it. Many of us think I don't have the experience. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I can't lead. I can't do that. I can't whatever. We make these excuses sometimes out of our inadequacy, our sense of I don't know enough. But I want to tell you that Queen Esther was an orphan beauty queen, teenager, when God threw her in front of the king and she rescued an entire nation reluctantly. She was a teenager. Mary, Jesus' mother, was an unwed teenage girl. The leader of a multi-site church in Ephesus was a young man named Timothy who was between the age of 18 and 25. Some say there were like 50,000 people in the church of Ephesus. What are you doing with your life? Many of Jesus' disciples were in their late teens and early 20s. You're not too young. I remember when we came here to Redcliffe, when we moved here to take this location. My daughter Maya, my oldest, was about eight at the time and she struggled with the transition. She came out of, out of what seemed like the perfect world, right? This little bubble that she'd grown up in. Everything was perfect. Everything was like Disneyland, right? The world that she'd come out of. And she came here and it wasn't quite the same experience for her and she came into the kids ministry and she felt a little bit not so great and so she came to me one night and she said mom I want to run kids crew she decided that she was going to start a student leadership team within the kids ministry and I immediately felt the pressure of that I was like I don't know whether that's really and she goes mom before you say anything King Josiah was eight years old when God made him the king of Israel. Can't argue with that. 
she used the word of God against me. So she started Kids Crew and she got little kids shirts that we got in and she wrote a leadership message every Saturday night for her leadership team and Romy can tell you, you know, that they got busy doing things in the kids ministry. I want to tell you, you're not too young. You're never too young. And you know, the most amazing thing is that God will give you the Holy Spirit gift of wisdom if you ask for it. Wisdom is his favorite gift to give. Wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit and someone, you can be the sort of person that people say, she's way wiser beyond her years. He's wise beyond his years. You can be that person if you just ask God to bless you with wisdom. He loves giving his people wisdom, supernatural wisdom. You're never too old. You're never too old. Like Joseph, you might be a kid in a pit in a prison and God will still promote you. And you know, the other thing that your mind might tell you is that you're too old, stuck. The horse has bolted. It's too late. It's too late. Did you know Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when they had their first promised child? Caleb was 80 years old when the rest of the spies were 30 and 40. And he was the one with a different spirit. He was the one that God shone favor on. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh for the first time about releasing the Israelites. God is the God of reinvention. He is the God of reinvention. C.S. Lewis said, there are far, far better things ahead of us than any we leave behind. And I want to say God does his best work in your future not in your past. Don't live in the glory days of yesterday. Live in the glory days of tomorrow. His best work is still ahead of you if you'll believe it. If you'll believe it. I love hearing the stories of reinvention from older men and women. Talking to older men, grey-haired men, who say to me, you know, I look back on my life and I feel now like a different person. Truth is, you are a different person. God has so much still ahead of you. If you're in that category and you're older and you feel like there's too much already, too much water under the bridge, that it's all gone, and I want to say to you, we need you. We need you to be running hard and fast after the call of God on your life. I need you to do that. I need more Ben and Poppies. We need that. Our world needs that. Your time is not up. No person is too bad, too young, too old. No circumstance or limitation can restrict what God wants to do in our lives. And your mind will try to tell you all sorts of things. I'm too young. I'm too old. My upbringing, my, my past, my mistakes. Your mind will try telling you all sorts of things. And that's why you need to know who you are in Christ. And you need to remind yourself daily of the call of God, of the purposes of God, the truth of what God has ahead of you. You need to remind yourself daily that you're in his hands. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind and keep it focused habitually on things above. What that says to me is that this isn't happenstance. This is a decision. I'm going to make a habit 
of setting my mind and keeping it set. Because your circumstances will try to change your mind. Your life will try to change your mind. But it says there, set your mind and keep it focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not the things that are on the earth which only have temporal value. Make your mind up and keep it set. What is the dream that God gave to you? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, whether you're young or old, whether you're messed up or not, plans for peace and well-being, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. The best is yet to come. Your life are in, is in the hands of an all-powerful, loving God. He has resources that you would not even comprehend, and He will use the most unlikely methods to move you into the call of God on your life. Your ways are not the same as God's ways. His ways are higher than ours and often don't make sense until years later. But we need to know that we're in His hands. You're called for great things. You are more than an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. God's plans for you are for a future and a hope, for good and not for evil. He will make blessing abound to you according to His riches in Christ's glory. Hello, the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? Your future is brighter than you imagine. Your mind needs to be set and kept set. If God is for you, you will not fail. And if you believe it, would you say amen this morning? Church, what is still on the inside of you that needs to be poured out? What is that childish dream that seems so foolish that you've pushed to the side that you need to bring to the forefront of your mind again and bring to God again and say, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust my life in your hands. I'm going to be integrous. I'm going to be full of character. I'm going to be the kind of person that you can use and that you can maneuver. God, what is it in me? Would you just help me step through the doors you open before me? Would you help me keep my heart right through those difficult seasons? God, Lord, would you just help me push aside the logic, push aside the reasoning? I want to say to someone this morning, reasoning leads to doubt. Reasoning is a tool of the devil to lead you into doubt and away from faith. You need to push away reasoning and step into faith. If you want to live a mediocre life, keep analyzing everything. Keep evaluating everything, assessing everything, rationalizing everything, and well done, you're on your path to mediocrity. But if you want to live a successful, abundant, impossible kind of life, you have to live it by faith. You have to live it with a soft, open heart in the hands of God because only He can do the impossible. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. We come into your house, into your presence. We come and surrender our lives to you and your will. And I ask that you'd breathe on cold coals this morning. Your fire, would it come and breathe on our hearts again? Those dreams, would you reignite those visions? Lord, like Peter, I'm declaring that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions, that sons and daughters will prophesy. Prophetic is speaking into the future. We're not living out of the past. We're living for what God has ahead. We're thankful. We're grateful. We bring remembrance. But it's all because there's more still ahead. 
Father, we thank you for what lies ahead. We thank you for your hand of grace that opens doors. Father, I thank you that you do the impossible. I thank you, Lord, that you use our pain to project us into our future. I thank you that you use our brokenness to bring us into our destiny. I thank you that nothing is a loss in your creative hands. I thank you that everything is found in you. Everything is restored and brought back in you. I speak abundance. I speak prosperity. I speak release and encouragement over our family here this morning. Would you birth those dreams in us again? That we'll be pregnant with purpose to bring to pass the goodness of God in the earth. Thank you, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I never like to finish a service without offering everybody an opportunity to come into relationship with this Jesus I've been talking about. This God who intended you before the very foundations of the earth. He loves you and he's calling you back to himself this morning. You have a sense that that's you. You're away from God. You're not in relationship, we call it. You're not in relationship with him and and you're hearing his invitation. And they're not my words. It's the Spirit of God who's inviting you. And I just want to give you an invitation to respond and say, I want to know him. I want to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. And with no one looking around except me, if that's you and you want to respond, just give me a wave so I know who to pray for in a moment. Responding, awesome. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else like that this morning? You want to respond to the invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life while I look across. Just wait another moment. Anyone like that this morning? Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the hearts in this place. So you call us back to yourself. Father, that all of us are on a journey. Father, we thank you that you call us home. And for the ones who responded this morning, Lord, I ask for your hedge of protection to come in around them. Father, I thank you for a heart of repentance that has turned towards you this morning. I thank you for forgiveness and grace that comes in like a flood, that you wash us clean. And in this moment of repentance and acceptance of your sacrifice, Lord, that we become your children, accepted and adopted into your family, taken out of our old life and set into the new, that in this moment we become new creation in Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. And I thank you for what's ahead of every single person in this room. Father, I thank you and I prophesy in advance, Lord God, for lives to be impacted and changed, for communities to be restored, for hope to be spoken and delivered, Lord, through the hands and mouths of the ones sitting in this room here. Lord, that we would turn this world upside down with your love and your grace and your mercy. In every experience and encounter we have, would you move through us in Jesus' mighty name. Would you give God some praise this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.